We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. Four. Three. Two. One. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Key, and today I'm here with Marsha. Hi, I'm Marsha Bivens. I'm the Director of Marketing for Pioneer X. Today we're here with Chip Phillips. He's the CEO of PDS. And Elaine Ladd. She is the Chief Pharmacy Officer for PDS. Welcome. You've met me um, right before yeah. Christmas, so yeah. welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Jeff, a pleasure to meet you. Yes. Yeah. We have not met Give us some background. I don't have a big long note about you. So, so you're tell working us. from home today and I love just everything I'm seeing. Where are you? So I'm located in Boise, Idaho at the moment. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? And I, is this like an Airbnb? Means, no, no, no. This is this is our, our forever home. We built nice. it about five years ago. But shortly after we built it, we decided to pick up our family and move to Costa Rica. Okay. Wow, mm-hmm. it just it just went really interesting. So why Costa Rica? Well, do you this want the a, short story or the long story? I want the really juicy I story. The, yeah, actually. So, oh, oh, I like it. She's like, let's see, <laughs> juice it up. Yes. So I had had the opportunity to sell our independent pharmacy and thought I was going to retire at the age of 42. So we had just completed building our forever home. And I thought I was going to learn how to bake because I'd been so engrossed in the pharmacy that I hadn't been able to do some of the pleasure activities. And I thought, gosh, I want to bake. And my daughter's an amazing baker. So I thought, gosh, okay, we're going to bake together and maybe we'll make a business out of baking. So we didn't start with cookies. We didn't start with cupcakes. We didn't even start with a cake. We went straight to macaroons. Because yeah. Right. If you can master that, I figured, gosh, we could bake anything. And high and then concentration maybe. of value, right? It's yeah. kind of like making diamonds, mm-hmm. right? I can, mm-hmm. I can squeeze a diamond out. Okay. So go ahead. I had just mastered our batch. Um, and my husband was sitting in the living room and he was watching HGTV. And he said, I've always wanted to own an island. And I said, <laughs> really? Like, who okay. says that? Who says that? <laughs> we're married for 20 years and I had no, no idea, idea he, he went down an island. Okay. Yeah. So he picked up the phone called HGTV and, um, within a couple weeks, I think it was literally like two weeks, they flew us down to Belize and, um, to look at some islands. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> okay. I Shucks. personally, I think it was a bait and switch, but okay. that's my perspective. I gotcha. Um, so, you know, we took advantage of, of the trip and realized that Belize is a retirement place. And in the process, we're like, we just sold our business. We're not tied to Boise. We could go anywhere now with our kids. Such freedom. So that's exactly what we did. We, he, we came home next month. He went to the international living conference. I didn't know it was a thing. Yeah. Um, and so he came back and 
my husband is an engineer, physics degree, and his MBA. He has his MBA. So he came home with this whole spreadsheet of pros and cons, all these different countries. He's like, we I'm having go some regret right now that we didn't include him on the show. I'm just saying. <laughs> he sounds like my kind of guy. I married him for his brains. And um, <laughs> he's like, we're going to Costa Rica. So six weeks later, we uh, picked up the kids. We went for a two-week uh, trip. He had six or seven different um, parts of the country um, that was on this two-week journey. So we could check out. We had real estate agents, and we just did this for two weeks. And mind you, I have kids who had perfect attendance. They were not happy that we were taking them out of school for an extra week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. By the end of the trip, the kids had decided where they wanted to live, where they wanted to go to school, and um, that's it. That's that's how we started. It was only going to be 13 months, and after each year, it just we just kept increasing it and increasing it, and um, and then COVID hit. Yeah, and so, so COVID that brought hit us back to the states, and that brought you back. So y'all rented while you were there. We actually, we initially rented, um, but within eight months, we had bought a, a property on the beach. Nice. Huh. So is that like the winter vacation <laughs> area that you prefer to be in? Or yeah. So this is why I said currently I'm in Boise. So in 18 months, the plan is to go back, uh, back to Costa Rica full time and use that as our hub. And then, okay. you know, with remote work, I could be anywhere in the world, right? Welcome, Chip. Hello, how are you? So, Chip, I, I, I'm telling you just up front that we're having a little regret that, that we didn't have um, more of the uh, the husband here um, <laughs> to learn more about the Costa Rica. So, so you've got some. We, we've had an interesting, uh, interesting well, five to nine minutes. So we've already, yeah, we already solved DIR fees. We're talking about moving to Costa Rica ourselves. Yeah, what's your well, what's your I, husband's name, Elaine? Kip. 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 Oh, see, Kip. We could have filled in a Kip for a chip pretty easily. <laughs> I, I don't know because I'm I'm ready to kind of also dive in and meet Chip a little more. Yeah, after. that's true because we got a teaser when we talked yeah, to Dan. Dan just about Chip the wine, the the guru. wine guy. Yeah, guilt, guilty as charged. So we got stuck on the gorgeous house, by the way, the little piece we can see there, and then the trip to Costa Rica. How did you get the PDS, Elaine? That's an interesting story as well. So after I sold the store, um, thought I was going to retire, and um, just a few friends started calling me up, asking me if um, I was for hire, if you know I'd be willing to go out and do some consulting work. And so I started doing that just organically, and um, and then word got to Dan that I was out there, and um, and then we just started talking and. I was brought in as a business coach um, almost five years ago. Okay. I've worn a few hats, and uh, now I sit on the executive team alongside Chip and just loving what we're doing today. Chip. Yes, sir. Hello. How are you? We're doing well. So uh, tell us a little bit. How did you get the PDS? So I've been in and around the healthcare space for 30 years. And in a variety right out of high school, of roles, huh? Uh, pretty close. I mean, in a variety of ways and in a variety of roles. And when I decided I was going to retire from uh, the large corporate world, because I had spent, you know, almost 10 years with CVS Health. Okay. And then had spent seven or eight years in big pharma. 
handling uh, distribution and a variety of commercial activities. Uh, after I left, I decided I wanted to do something that was both interesting and a bit more mission oriented. And I started exploring a variety of opportunities. I wound up meeting Dan and, and, and I knew of Dan. I had met him once before. I knew of PDS and I certainly had a very uh, well-developed understanding of independent pharmacy and the importance of independent pharmacy in many of the communities that they serve um, and knew that, you know, there were a variety of challenges in that segment of the retail pharmacy market. And so in my conversations with Dan, it became apparent that, you know, I might be able to lend some of my experience and some of my expertise in the context of, you know, contributing to programs and contributing to a variety of things uh, that would help independent pharmacies be more successful on a long-term sustainable basis. And that's really, that was really the migration path for me into the business. Cool. I guess Dan decided he wanted you and Dan can be super persuasive. So mm -hmm. very charismatic. <laughs> yeah. Dan can be very, uh, Dan can be stubborn. <laughs> Elaine, you're a pretty achieved. I mean, from the profile that I read, I mean, you're very well achieved. So, you know, talk to us. How did you, how did you get, what was your, what was your deciding and what got you into pharmacy? Yes. Yeah, so pharmacy is actually not my first profession. I um, okay. was a sales and marketing manager for a company in uh, Vancouver, Canada that owned three celebrity nightclubs, a few restaurants, a hotel and a theater. Um, and what brought me to Canada was, was a boy um, what brought me back to the States was another boy, my current husband. So, um, after fulfilling that role and, and moving to Boise, I was at a crossroads. Um, the job that I had in Canada was glamorous. I mean, I had a plane at my disposal. I was traveling, I was meeting people. It was fantastic. And then to come to small town, rather rural state of Idaho, I needed to decide where, what I wanted to really do. And um, that's when I chose pharmacy because I had actually been working in a pharmacy since the age of 16. And quite frankly, I never really thought of myself as a pharmacist. It was a male dominated profession at that time. And I didn't see any women role models as pharmacists. So it just actually hadn't ever, I hadn't really thought about it. And, you know, going through, you know, soul searching and, and what's my purpose and what really fulfills me, it's about helping people and having an impact. And I believe I'm an educator at, yep. at my core. Um, and so going through that, that's where my husband, my current husband um, and I, we just, this was back in 1999. I said, gosh, you know, pharmacy has, has, I'm familiar with it. And I think that's the path I want to go. And so we're in Boise. I, um, I finished out, you know, my last prerequisites. Um, and then we went, I, we picked up at that point, I had a 10 month old baby. We picked up and moved to Chicago and, um, uh, I see a lot pharmacy. of picking up, picking up, picking up, picking up. <laughs> <laughs> We picked him up and um, moved to Chicago, went to pharmacy school and came, went in with one child, um, came out with three. So okay. I had two babies in ask. pharmacy school. Nice. Um, Some interesting compounding going on there. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I knew that I wanted to do a residency and, and we needed to do our family planning before I embarked on that um, adventure. So that's why we had, we had the babies during pharmacy school. Um, so that, that, that's, that's how I got started. Nice. I think Elaine needs to be my coach. <laughs> <laughs> Although I might end up in Costa Rica. It's not a bad thing though. It's not, I, I mean, good, just, bad, it's all relative. I'm, I'm just thinking of all the, the dive opportunities there. So, well, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yes. Yeah. So well, especially Belize yep. can get lost in the blue hole. What, uh, all right. So what do you guys see as trends today in pharmacy? What do you, what do you see going on? We have conversations every day. Um, trying to figure out the future. Well, there's a couple of things that have emerged, either emerged or been accelerated with uh, the pandemic and and the acceleration of things. One of the trends is that, and you're seeing this in retail pharmacy, you're seeing it with respect to employment, and that is that you know being tied to a physical location, which has always been perceived in many cases as a requirement or sometimes as a barrier uh, has evaporated to a large extent in today's environment. And so the, the limitation associated with operating exclusively within your four walls has sort of been broken down to a great, to a great extent. And the necessity to move beyond those four walls and find ways to conduct business the way your customer wants to conduct business with you uh, is critically important in the current environment. And so uh, all pharmacies, chains as well as independents, are all at their own rate and pace moving into a more omni-channel kind of an environment where there's a digital component, there's the physical component, you've got delivery mechanisms. and so that that has accelerated quite a bit and I think is going to continue. The other thing that's happened as a result of the pandemic, and this was this was happening before, but it was moving at a much slower pace, was the recognition that both the pharmacist can be a much larger player and play a different yep. kind of role mm-hmm. in the delivery of care in the community, and that the pharmacy can become a broader source of healthcare services than it has been in the past. And so you are seeing across the board this expansion of services in a variety of ways and in a variety of directions into the delivery of uh, clinical services, patient care services, monitoring services uh, that are being delivered by and through the pharmacy. And that has been greatly accelerated in the current environment. and those two changes, I think, those two changes, I think, are permanent and yep. and here to stay. Well, and, and, and one thing's interesting it, to me is that as people, and, and, and everybody's not going to get the, the person working at at um, at the department store is not going to be to work from home. But but as as people become more as they as they moved out of San Francisco, they they didn't move to New York City or or Miami. They moved to Whitefish, Montana, or Costa and, Rica. Or Costa Rica. <laughs> you know, they're moving. At, you know, I, I, I use the term the re-ruification of America. You know, Americans as they get more mobile are moving to places where they have more space, where things are slower, um, and that's going to mean different type of healthcare delivery. Uh, we are seeing a record number of new stores open. 
And uh, some of that is backfilling where chains are leaving, um, where their model, where they went into towns that were just too small for the model of selling beauty products and stuff and, you know, the kind of things that needed to sustain that. But I think you're going to continue to see that these smaller communities are going to grow and are going to need healthcare. They're going to need certain types of, of, of delivery. Um, and we see existing farm, existing owners opening up more locations. Uh, you know, about the, the same number of pharmacies is staying about the same, but they're being owned by, you know, independent pharmacies becoming small chains, you know, the whole multi-owner owner piece. Um, what is PDS doing? What, what's, what's new? Give us some teasers for this year. What, what's, what, do we, uh, what do we have to look forward to this February? Go ahead, Elaine. Well, as, as I think about our theme, the RX factor, we want to reiterate and have our, our pharmacy owners and teams think about what separates them. How are they going to meet the demands of the patients that are yep. coming into their stores and are in their communities? What type of technology are they leveraging in order to increase the capacity? Because it's not just um, it's, it's not just this whole transformation and shift to delivering additional services. There's also we're also in the great resignation, right? So how are they handling yep. and ensuring that they're keeping their team at the forefront? Because at the end of the day, if you don't have people, you don't have a business. Yep. Yeah, you, see, so, you see restaurants yep. closing because of that. Mm-hmm. So technology, the people, the services, this yeah. is this, this is how we're going to help them. Yeah, one of the interesting things that um, – I sit on a drugstore news panel every December. And one thing you hear all the big chains talking about is omni-channel, omni-channel, omni-channel. We need to be where the customer is and understand their wants. But when you talk about their messaging strategy, they're disconnected. How do I talk to the patient through SMS or something like that? It's all one way. They're afraid of the patient being able to talk back to the pharmacist because they have this very you know, I, I eat my lunch in two-minute increments between baskets type philosophy. And, and so, you know, my question is always, how in the world are you going to be where the customer is without letting them respond? And so I think there's a huge opportunity for independent pharmacists and what they do in this in two-way communication. You know, one of the things we have in Pioneer is two-way SMS. I think a lot of the other systems are doing it as well. Um to, to move conversations from synchronous conversations where I get interrupted by a phone call to these more asynchronous type of conversations, but still a conversation. You know, you don't always, you know, unless it's a new boyfriend, you, you don't always expect, you know, somebody to text you right back, right, when you text them. Uh, you know, you expect that, hey, that conversation is going to be delayed. So um, are we talking about things like that? Or are we going to be talking about the omni-channel and what omni-channel means and what the different channels are and and how you tune your channel? Yeah, we're, the the omni-channel discussion is sort of a uh, occurs on a continuum, and there are a variety of components to it. And so, one of the things we're going to talk about at the conferences is, is a place where we think independent pharmacies really need to devote a great deal of attention, and that pertains to their digital assets and what they're doing with their website, how they're pushing content out into their communities. Uh, and how they're engaging engaging with their communities from a digital perspective. Um, because the, the research that we had done suggests that there's a terrific opportunity there. There's a, a very uh, 
unevenness of service and capabilities out in the marketplace. And so we've spent a lot of time developing a program that enables us to help pharmacies address those issues. Um, and, and that, Go ahead. Yeah, and that, and that program is, you know, sort of a combination of we can provide insights as it relates to what you should be doing. We can provide lots of information related to how to do it. And then we have built capabilities in order to be able to do it for them in the context of, in the context of this. So, um, that we, we think that's a very important place to start for the independent pharmacy community uh, is with respect to these digital assets. And then we will, you know, likely create expectations related to what we're going to be developing over the course of the year in the context of those capabilities and those services that we can share with and set expectations uh, in terms of what people can expect to see, see going forward. So will PDS actually, is it technology that you developed? Are you, will you be actually uh, developing a messaging technology or websites or you guys partnering with somebody? What's yeah, we're going to partner with, we're partnering with somebody in, in the context of the development of a, what I'll call sort of a white label program okay. where we okay. can provide a variety of services, uh, which includes significant expansion of their digital capabilities, both in the context of design in, in, in the context of ensuring that, you know, because most, most consumers today discover an awful lot of uh, information about an organization by way of their use of the web. And so yep. we're heavily geared towards enhancing the independent pharmacy's ability to be discovered by the community when they log on and begin to search for, uh, for, different, for, for different needs. Um, and so we've got this white label program. We're addressing those issues. Um, and, you know, it will take on various levels and degrees of uh, involvement from us. In addition to that, we've got, you know, PDS has been in business for a long time. And we have a massive amount of terrific content that we can utilize and tailor to an individual owner's needs and to their marketplace related to things that would be relevant and important for their patient base and their community. And so, you know, we're also going to support them in the context of understanding what kind of messages they wanted to deliver their, to their community and then utilizing the assets that we have, which have been developed over a long period of time and that are very extensive uh, to pull things out of that library and amend them if necessary and enable the pharmacy to push those out into their community. Yeah. And so I guess there'll be a lot of training. I mean, in the end, you know, we're talking, you know, SEO, we're talking some things like, um, yes, you know, content marketing, things like that. In the end, that stuff has to be unique. You, are, you put the same content on 4,000 pharmacies and doesn't have any value, right. you know, in it's, SSO. It's not going to help them. So, so your big piece, I think there is the training them and some, you know, on how to do that and maybe enabling them on tools that are starter to do that. Um, and I think one of the things we do um, for our customers in RX Local is we have a calendar that recommends things they do on different days of the month uh, based on what's going on, whether it's pizza day and, and help them with some digital assets for those days, maybe a picture and then say, hey, write something like this or, hey, 
order pizza and take a picture of your staff, you know, kind of telling them what to do, but, but trying to make sure that that content is unique because that's so critical, um, for SEO and, and, and how Google looks at, at places. So ought to be, ought to be super interesting. So if you'd say that that's the kind of, that's the theme this year. And one of the big pieces is this, um, new white labeled uh, product or uh, offering. Yeah. The broad, I would, you know, I'd broadly label it as sort of this omni-channel approach and, and, and equipping pharmacies to take their services beyond their four walls. And so, you know, we'll talk about other means by which to do that. Um, uh, I don't know, do, Aileen, do you want to share some of the commentary around the community, uh, immunity bus and, and the notion of carrying services out into the community? Yeah, that's another underlying theme is that um, not limiting ourselves to taking care of the patients that are just coming into our store. How do we get out of our four walls and expand the reach into the community and throughout the state? Uh, you know, leveraging telehealth technology, um, leveraging mobile units, um, right? Like, I mean, think about the initiative around getting COVID vaccinations in the arms of the U.S. population. Yep. Mm -hmm. We are not close to where we should be today. How do we solve that problem? Let's go mobile. So, so I get the whole telemedicine. What would telepharmacy? What, what, is, what, is, what is telepharmacy? Well, we're seeing a lot more patients wanting acute care conditions being diagnosed and treated um, in, in their retail pharmacies by their trusted pharmacy teams. And so I'm not, say, I'm not suggesting chronic care being you know, leveraged um, from a telehealth perspective, maybe at some point, um, but I'm a big fan of maintaining that classic triad, making sure that we are um, the, the practitioners that are taking care of those patients for their chronic conditions. We're not, we're not breaking that, that classic triad. So acute care conditions like strep and flu and UTIs, um, those things that you don't have to go. You could go, just go into an urgent care. Patients don't want to go into an urgent care. Right. They're wanting to do that at their pharmacy because guess what? They know the people at that pharmacy. And it's where they're going to yeah. end up for their medications but, anyways. But would that right. be telehealth with the pharmacy? So basically I go in the pharmacy and the pharmacy does a strep test and then, oh, hey, you need uh, to get an antibiotic. So we're going to do a telehealth visit with you here in the pharmacy to a doctor and you get it so we can get your prescription. That's kind of what you're. That's one solution. Yes. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think the tip of the spear, the tip of the spear for the retail pharmacy is that, and, and we're going to spend some time in the context of both with partners that we have attending the conference, as well as um, uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about will be the expansion of diagnostic testing in the context of retail pharmacy. Yeah. And there's diagnostic tests that can be taken home. There's diagnostic tests that can be administered and read within the pharmacy. And then once those diagnostic tests and the results of them are known, then the pharmacist can engage in a range of activities related to ensuring that their patient, their customer gets care. Sometimes yep. that may be a referral to a physician in the community. Sometimes it may be a telemedicine visit. 
And in other cases, depending upon the state and scope of practice, it may be the pharmacist would uh, right. be able to treat in the context of that condition. But the, I think the tip of the spear in this context is expanding the capabilities within a pharmacy to diagnose many of these conditions. And there's a growing number of options that they have, some of self-administered, some administered by the pharmacist. There's a growing number of options for them uh, in the context of the tools that they can use in order to be able to do that. Um, and, and the consumer community wants increased access to the ability to self-diagnose or yep. diagnose with their pharmacist um, without having, you know, to engage in, in what they've had to engage in before in terms of a formal physician visit. Yeah, and we, we saw that um, in the show, in the pharmacy show in, in London, and they're going so far to put like a privacy box in your pharmacy that has a screen and a, a like a bench seat in there. And it's like, hey, okay, pick up this device, put it in your ear for us to, <clears throat> sorry, for us to take a picture and see. And like, it was like, pick up all these devices and this is what we want you to do with them. Um a lot of COVID questions, obviously, about, great, how do you sanitize between patients? Um, but you saw a lot of that in London. And, but but they're built, they were building in a telehealth within the pharmacy. So it's like, hey, come here, do the telehealth over here, and then let's get your medications and get you taken care of. Yeah, another interesting thing in that show was uh, the number of tests that are coming to the pharmacy. The Believe it or not, the, the world actually gets some of that stuff quicker than we do because our FDA is really mm -hmm. slow. And um, they had microanalyzers on a chip that did uh, A1C. A1C testing, yeah. Yeah. And, that, I mean, there were seven or eight tests that will be a couple of years, but they're coming. It will come here. So they're going to be able to do the pharmacist fairly inexpensively to do an A1C in the pharmacy. Um, where maybe you can do that quarterly rather than once a year when you go to the doctor and tack on this big doctor's visit cost. So a lot of interesting, um, I think that the point of care testing stuff, we actually know a, um, a telehealth company whose background is in allergy that actually talks about how, you know, a town's supposed to have an allergist, I think for every 120,000 people. And they can actually work with pharmacy to get certified to do the skin test and they can actually split the money. So the telehealth, you do a telehealth allergist, but the pharmacy can do the allergy skin test and, um, and split the the, uh, income from that test, um, with the physician that supervises it. Yeah. I read a statistic that the point of care testing revenue is forecasted to exceed immunizations. Yeah. I believe it. There's a, there, the opportunity is there and it's the choice of, you know, the community pharmacies is if they're going to show up and meet the needs and demands of their communities. Yep. And probably the point of care test, that strep test is more profitable than the $2 antibiotic that mm -hmm. you're going to get after <laughs> you get strep, right? And, and probably not as profitable as the, you know, $10 uh, probiotic that they ought to get when they get the antibiotic. Um, y'all do anything with, with helping pharmacies, uh, promote probiotics? I think every time we open up the, uh, the, the news or something like that, you're seeing some new article and all the benefits of, of probiotics. Well, right. Cause the gut is 
is uh, is your your immune system, right? It's your it's second crazy. immune system. Mm-hmm. And so taking care and repairing the gut is really super important. I'm functional medicine trained, so I love the gut. You know, if we if we could take care of that gut, unfortunately, um, there would be a few dermatologists that uh, wouldn't have any patients because we would be treating all of the skin con- conditions that right. are showing up because their gut is out of whack. Huh. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've had programs for a long period of time associated with uh, complementary, in some cases over-the-counter medications or supplements that are appropriate to combine with their prescription medications for a variety of purposes, including including probiotics. Yep. Yeah, nutrient depletion, right? When you when you right. really look at the literature, there's so many medications that, when chronically taken, have an effect on your folate level, your B12, vitamin D, etc. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anything anything there? You know, you, you talk to uh, Troy Trigstad, who's the CEO of uh, CPSN. You know, one of the things he says, you know, the future of independent pharmacy is in more of this boutique type. Um, health destination, which doesn't fit every model, uh, depending on your um, your economic location that you're in. But are you anything out of PDS that relates to that about, you know, really helping a pharmacy become more of a boutique uh, kind of functional medicine? Yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. I mean, we are we, we look at this broad category of clinical services beyond what pharmacists have done traditionally. And we recognize that there's this continuum of care that applies in that situation. There are services that a pharmacist can deliver on their own today and bill for on their own, and all the way through states that allow for a pharmacist to employ a physician and, and have a physician in their clinic. And so what we've done is we've identified a variety of points in that continuum where we think it makes sense for independent pharmacies to play, and we're introducing a program this year associated with remote patient monitoring that uh, is a program that enables independent pharmacies to engage in that activity and get reimbursed for it. And so that's a, it's a very extensive effort on our part. Uh, Elaine, do you want to elaborate? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the reasons I think the why is important you know, with COVID and 2020, uh, the regulation changed from remote physiological monitoring, most commonly referred to as remote patient monitoring. It moved from under direct supervision, meaning a pharmacist or any healthcare provider that was performing that service had to be located in the suite with the physician, the prescribing physician. And now it has shifted to general supervision, and therefore a a practitioner can delegate to another healthcare practitioner to perform those services. And so this opened up an opportunity for community pharmacists to get involved and really um, develop and establish a consulting practice, if you will. And so that's one of our initiatives is to help empower, teach, and train our members how to build that that consultative practice um, legally, yep. ethically, and properly. So we're they're not operating in any gray space uh, as to get themselves in any sort of uh, issues legally down the road. So setting it up 
upright, setting it right up front, um, and then building upon those services. You know, remote patient monitoring is a, a great foundational service that can be coupled with chronic care management. That's the education piece um, and, and coupled together. So one of our initiatives is to really go deep and specific and really teach them how to do these, these services effectively, um, efficiently, um, and generate the patient outcomes that need to be um, so that they can then earn the right to do more of these types of activities. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. How's the, um, I guess, pandemic's got some pent up uh, demand. How's the attendance coming for PDS? folks want to be in person. Yep. And when you think about one of the reasons why folks come to the PDS conference, it's because the energy is high. It's, it's a dopamine hit and we need a dopamine hit more than, more than ever now. Yep. Right. It's a, it's definitely a, a big morale booster and you you come away from, so I say that, you you know, you come out of most conferences like NCPA and PDS just with a whole new um, energy and passion for what you're doing. And it's like, I've got all these ideas. I'm so excited. Um, and, but I mean, yours is, it's, it's a concert. Yeah. What's <laughs> the, what's the song? Is there a song <laughs> theme this year? Yeah. There's always a, a song theme. That's yeah, we've been talking about that. You haven't decided I, what this theme is? Well, I don't know if we can actually disclose it yet. What? So. Oh, we yeah. haven't. That, that's the no, great that's teaser. No, that's a teaser. We got to yeah. see what it is. So you want to see what, the, what the concert's about this year. I want to be where the people are. No. I've made a number of recommendations. Oh, you have? Okay. The specific songs. Uh, we'll see. You know, Dan, Dan sort of fancies himself in this regard, sort of a DJ. Uh, and so... You know, we've we've created this list of options and we're now in the process of, you know, going through those with with him. DJ. Yeah, Scotty. Scotty B will be there. Scotty B will be there. Yes. Are, are we going to have a um, an onstage wine presentation? Are we going to we're going to take a so everybody? We're going to take a break and we're going to give you some recommendations about wine. Oh, no, no. That's that. We're going to have to schedule up a dinner and have. I know. Like Dan, Dan invited us Chip. over with it for a Dan and Chip show. Yeah. At, at his house, nice. So. Yeah, you should definitely you should definitely do that because between the wines and the gadgets that we have assembled, I've heard there's also tequila. What? Oh yes, there is also tequila. Yes. Chip Chips taught him a new recipe, and now Dan can't stop talking about it. Oh. <laughs> yes, we we heard about it on the last podcast with. So we're gonna we're gonna read between the wines. Mm. <laughs> no, no. So what do we give us a wine recommendation? Just one. Yeah. So the, what are what are your preferences? Listeners. Give us a what are you what are we liking today? So uh, I'm I'm a red wine drinker. Okay. And uh, I like lots of new age wines, which are you know domestic wines, Napa Valley Napa Valley wines. Okay. And um, is there a, a specific of, grape that you kind of lean closer to? Um, you know, Cabernet or Pinot. Okay. Okay. Um, but the I'll give you two recommendations. There's a there's a winery in Napa uh, called Del Dotto Wineries. Del Dotto. Del okay. Dotto. Del Dotto. Okay. And Dave Del Dave Del Dotto is the owner, and I've been familiar with his winery for years as it has grown, and he produces uh, terrific 
terrific wines, um, most of which he does not sell uh, commercially through distributors, most of which is to, you know, a private list of folks that that he sells to. Um, But it's a terrific wine. And if you can find it and get your hands on it, it's it's really a a, really outstanding. Um, Mm. The other the other wine that I really like is a it's produced by a very small uh, family vineyard, uh, Lindstrom Wines, and they make a Cabernet. Is that also a Napa? It's also a Napa wine. And it's a great it's a great wine. Um, And I recently sent Elaine a bottle of Del Dotto and a bottle of Lindstrom. So she. So had I known, I could have done a show and tell because I still saved the bottles. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to have to um, get the list from you. Yeah, so. (laughs) They're already empty because I'm going for my birthday in a few weeks to Napa. Oh, you are? Mm-hmm. So have you made your have you made plans yet? Um, so far we have lined up. Um, I've got a personal driver and tour guide that's going to pick us up, and he's made reservations to take us by three or four vineyards. Yeah, basically they're going to drink all day and then go on a food tour and drink all night. And yeah, and then we've got a four o'clock food tour that's going to be more food and or food and more wine. So any ideas on protecting liver function would be helpful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the last time I was in Napa, I, I discovered a new winery, or what was new to me, that was, if you were to pick a place, I would tell you to go there. It, the name of it is Baldacci Winery. Baldacci, okay. Baldacci. And it's a smaller winery. Uh, I, I think they make fewer than 10,000 cases of wine. They make a variety of wines, but I found their wines to be excellent and very good values. What What is your drink of choice, Elaine? Uh, Tito's. Tito's. All right. Girl after my own heart. My 18, 18-year-old daughter, she, um, she came home last weekend, and she was like, Mom, Tito's is crap. What? <laughs> I know I, I'm going to recommend something better. It's like, wait, 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 wait. You're, You're 18, 18 and I'm not going to ask you how you know this. Well, what did she recommend? What, what did she recommend? We're all on the edge of our seat here. I don't even remember, but I was like, no, you have wrong information. <laughs> That's what the newbies start on when they think alcohol is cool. Well, I, know, I mean, there's probably better vodka than Tito's, um, but I like it. So, yeah. yeah, I like it too. Yeah. Please don't tell me she's starting off and like smearing off vodka or something. No, 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 no. It was nothing like that. But. Okay. And I'm gluten-free, so Tito's is gluten-free. Now, she's 18, about to go to college, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. And your other yes. two are in pharmacy school and college. How old are they? So my oldest is 20, and he is at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. Um, not in pharmacy. He uh, he's But he's in chemistry. Okay. He's in some... So, yeah, he's in chemistry. He's on the chemistry track. My son's a chemical engineer. So nice. I understand. Mm-hmm. Well, he wants to work for NASA. He wants to work for NASA. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, really? Rocket scientist. Huh. Yeah. And, 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 well, and, and Cal Poly has a good connections with uh, NASA. So what was the other? Yep. And then your, your third child. Yes, my third one. He is turning 17 in four oh, weeks. Wow. Uh, he's a junior in high school. Yes. We made it through the rain. Right? That's the Almost. 18 months. <laughs> oh, yeah. All uh, kids will be in college. And then mom yes. and dad can Almost start traveling. 
And so, so yeah. they're not going back to Costa Rica. Just mom and dad are going back to Costa Rica. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. No. And, and what about you, Chip? Kids, family. No, I have I have two children. Uh, I Elaine goes between um, Idaho and Costa Rica. I go between New York City and Fort Lauderdale. Okay. And so uh, I've got two kids, both grown, uh, and both actually living in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, wow. They, they. Uh, it's a cool town. Yeah, no, they grew up in the Northeast. Uh, we have lots of family. My wife's father was one of 10 kids. And so there's, uh, you know, she has 100 cousins in the greater Columbus area. So there's a lot of family there. And they decided uh, after they finished school, they wanted to go back there and uh, to start. And so they're they're both living there. Um, yeah. It's a neat town. And yeah, it's, a, it's a growing town. I mean, for a Midwestern city, it's it's booming. Yeah, it is. There's a an Italian restaurant there that I I love to frequent when I'm there. It's uh, it's in the art district. It's uh, Marcella's. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They have these little thin crack. It's made. What is it? It's um. It's it's little zucchini zucchini chips. chips. Just micro thin. (laughs) It's like it's just nuts. It's so good. And what do your two kids do in Ohio? So uh, my daughter teaches. uh, And my son, yeah, and my son is. uh, in digital, digital printing and marketing. Oh, cool. Um, okay. And so he's, you know, he's on the front end of a variety of things. Um, and he works with, he actually works with my brother-in-law, uh, who owns a business in Columbus, uh, which has a division in that, in that area. And so he works with him. Um, but I go between Fort Lauderdale and, and New York city. Yeah. Um, so why New York city? If the kids are in Ohio, well, so we moved, my wife and I met and, uh, we lived in Columbus for several years. And then, uh, I left, we left Columbus because I became the president of a joint venture between Oxford well and, and Oxford health plans and Wellpoint in the Northeast. Okay. And so we moved to the Northeast and lived in the greater New York area for a number of years. My wife worked in the city and eventually when she got tired of making the commute from Connecticut, we bought a place, we bought a pied-a-terre in New York City. So she was able to stay there a few nights a week. And then uh, we decided when we sold our home in in Connecticut, we decided we were going to buy something larger in Manhattan so that we could live permanently in the city uh, eventually, which is something we both wanted to do. Nice. Um, I love it. I I love love New York York City. City. I go there a couple of times a year, but I'm super worried about crime and, and worried about it going back to what it was in the eighties, the new DA. And yeah, the, I would say this, that at least in the context of Manhattan, uh, what's happening is really very neighborhood specific. Okay. And so it's not a widespread, it's, it's not a widespread issue yet. Crime has gotten worse, uh, a bit, but Nothing compared to what it was b- back in the days that that you're referring to, and I think Eric Adams, the new mayor, who ha- has a background in law enforcement, is going to uh, place a large emphasis on uh, cleaning up the city in that regard. Yeah, but the DA won't enforce it. I mean, I, I heard they saying that it, you know even like a a gun crime, if nobody gets hurt, they're going to move it down to a misdemeanor. Yeah, I think there's. 
I think there's going to be some ongoing conflict between the mayor and the DA in that regard. Uh, and I think ultimately they'll land in the right place. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, I think you'll see a lot of these liberal DAs kind of moving out. San Francisco is kind of, you know, you saw CVS, Walgreens, all these companies moving out of, of uh, San Francisco because it's just not, it's not safe. That's um, right. I'm hoping. I, I, I do love New York. I'm wondering if I'm a substitute London for it. A little bit further to get to, but super similar. Very much. And, you know, the, the one thing, uh, and I think the reason it's going to take some time for the city to come back is because prior to the pandemic, for every full-time resident of Manhattan, every day there were eight tourists. Wow. And so think about the impact that COVID has had on travel. Yep. Yeah. It's going to take a while for that population of tourists to come back to those pre-pandemic levels. Yep. Yeah, yeah but those tourists are going to have to feel safe. And That's all right. the well, news, they're not I'll feeling... be a tourist the first week of June. Yeah? What are you going to New York for? Uh, just taking my daughter. She She's graduating in May, and so she wanted to go to New York City. Um she is going to Spain as well, but New York City was her stateside Where state. Where in Spain? That's a great question. Um, she has it all planned out. Okay. Okay. I don't know the, the exact specifics yet. Yeah. So the, the one thing that's happening in New York right now, and in Manhattan in particular, rents, apartment rents have gone up dramatically uh, this year over last. Okay. And- Kids, I refer to them as kids, young, college age, just out of college, early in their career, mm-hmm. are migrating back into the city at a rapid pace. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah, I'll be, um, Elaine, I'll actually be taking, I'll be in New York a week before you. So I'm planning on um, taking my kids. So they'll be out of school. Are you taking both? Yeah. You decide? Okay. I decided I'm taking both. All right. And, and Mark said he's going to go, too, and uh, there's an agreement that they can do New York at their pace, and then Cohen's going to do – Cohen already said he's going to do New York at my pace. I'm like, great, so we'll be up at 7, and we'll be Central Park, and then we'll do brunch at Sarabas, and then we'll pick mm-hmm. them up for l- lunch. <laughs> so um, so there's, a, there's a couple of things in New York that you should do while you're there. Oh, yes, please, tell me. So one of the things that you should do is you should go to the, the, the 9-11 memorial. Yep. yep. And the 9-11 Museum. You should definitely do that. It's 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 very impressive. It's very moving. Um, yeah. And so I would I would encourage you to do that. There's a new place uh, in the city uh, that's at, at one of the newer buildings in the city. Uh, and there's a restaurant there called The Peak. OK. Yep. Elaine's and, taking notes, too. <laughs> And the peak has a very interesting bar, and part of the attraction of the peak is you can go out onto a balcony in this building, okay, where the floor is clear. I've seen that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's, but it's very it's very cool. I think it's on the um, fifty top most Instagrammable places in New York. Yeah. Yep, um, I saw that. My daughter and I. Yeah, we we've. We've almost memorized the list. Elaine, have you been to New York before, or is this going to be a first for you? you? Know, 
this will be my first just as a tourist. I've gone in for conferences where it's right. just yeah. in and out, and I haven't really toured the city. So I'm really looking forward to this. Okay. So a couple of my favorite go-tos, um, Gelso and Grand in Little Italy. I really love their bone marrow bruschetta and, um, oh, my gosh, the uh, the, pes- the pistachio pesto is so good. Um, and then right across the street, there's a little cannoli cart, and we'd always go there and get cannolis. Um, Joe Shanghai's is known for their soup dumplings, and, of course, it's lunch for us, so I'm hungry, and I'm just going to talk food and <laughs> make it worse for myself. <laughs> We've got our laminated maps and we're, you know, dividing it by segments and each day will be a different district or different area and we're going to eat our way and shop. You have to go to Chelsea's Market. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's it's on the list. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the list. It's just so cool. I, I just like the people watching and the. It's, it's my happy place. And, and I even joke when I come back and my team's like, Hey, how's New York? I was like, you can check me into a spa for the afternoon and get a massage. My brain's not going to turn off. I'm not going to relax. I go to New York and I'm just like, I completely just zone out and I come back feeling like, I guess, how you were supposed to feel after a facial and a massage and all that stuff. But yeah, New York's my happy place. It's, it's my spa. All right. So I think we're out of time. Any last minute plugs for the PDS conference? No, listen, I think, I think we've got a really good blend of uh, topics and programs that we're going to introduce that will create value for independent pharmacies in a very short period of time and a blend of programs and programmatic activities that will significantly contribute to their economic stability over the long run. Yeah, and so that's I right. think I think we've got a really good blend of things in, in that context. Um, and I also think that it's given given what we've been through the last couple of years, the acceleration of so much change in the marketplace that I believe that it's more important than ever for small businesses, independent pharmacies included, for pharmacies to have uh, access to the ability to have a, a coaching and accountability model and a structured way to address their business issues and achieve their goals and objectives. And so uh, I, I think that there is, in my view, never been a greater need in the marketplace for the kinds of capabilities and the support mechanisms that PDS can provide. Well, we are, we love it every year we get to go. So we can't wait to, can't wait to be there. Can't wait to see you guys. We, we learn something every time we go and uh, enjoyed you guys today. And Looking maybe we'll forward get to meeting to, you in February. Get, looking forward to talking some more, and uh, maybe we'll do this again. This was fun. And, and maybe yeah. I'll bring a bottle of wine that we can I love. Oh, yeah. That yeah. Would, you would score. You would, it would be a good deal. <laughs> All right. Bye, you guys. Thank you guys so Thanks. much. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.